0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian Bhangra rhythms, hip hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good
1: morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, March 15th, looking at the military's policies on extremism. We'll have more on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Even before sanctions in response to the war in Ukraine, the U.S. was already seeing an increase in Russian asylum seekers. Most of them came through the San Ysidro Port of Entry in San Diego. The Associated Press is reporting that more than 8,600 Russian refugees came through the U.S.-Mexico border from last August through January. That's 35 times the number of Russian refugees during the same period the year before. Offering cash incentives to encourage people to get vaccinated can backfire if the amount isn't high enough. That's according to a new study from UC San Diego. It found that paying people $10 to $20 decreases the likelihood that they'll get vaccinated. But paying people $100 would increase vaccine intention by 4.5%, whereas $500 increased the likelihood of vaccination by 15 to 20%. The study is set to be published in the next edition of the journal Management Science. Homeless residents in downtown San Diego will be paid to pick up trash as part of a new pilot program. People will be paid $2 for every trash bag they bring to a large bin set up in the area twice a week. The Union Tribune says a nonprofit, the Lucky Duck Foundation, has agreed to provide $20,000 to fund the program over four months. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. The Marines probe into whether the reservist son of former San Diego County GOP leader Tony Kavark tried to join a white nationalist group is expected to wrap up any day now. KPBS's Amitha Sharma says top brass recently changed policies to meet the moment, but some say they fall short.
2: We need your help. I'm talking, of course, about extremism and extremist ideology. Views and conduct that run counter to everything that we believe in and which can actually tear at the fabric of who we are as an institution.
3: This plea from the nation's first black secretary of defense, Lloyd Austin, weeks after the January 6th insurrection, came with a request for rank and file to revisit their oath.
2: Read those words again. Consider what they really mean and think about the promise that you made to yourselves and to your teammates and to your fellow citizens.
3: With nearly 15% of the January 6th insurrectionists tied to the military, the Pentagon also turned inward. Late last year, the Department of Defense updated its policy on radicalism to ban service members from actively participating in gangs or groups that advocate extremist ideologies. The active participation includes fundraising, attending rallies, recruitment and training.
4: What they didn't do, however, is add a prohibition of membership in white nationalist organizations.
3: Devin Burkhart is executive director of the Seattle-based Institute for the Research and Education on Human Rights. He says the military's decision not to ban membership in extremist groups is a mistake.
4: The act of joining an organization and making that leap to become a member is already a sign that you're deeply immersed inside that organization's ranks. It also means that you may be participating in other parts of the organization.
3: The issue surfaced in San Diego earlier this year over reports that the Marine Reservist son, a former local Republican Party leader, Tony Kavarik tried to join a notorious neo-Nazi group. 21-year-old Victor Kavarik allegedly applied to be in the Patriot Front, which the Southern Poverty Law Center calls a white nationalist hate group. Christine Chavala, a Black Navy vet who served in San Diego, says racism and extremism remain present in the military.
5: It's masked with things like favoritism. It's masked with some manipulation in different arenas that it's definitely still there. It's just well hidden.
3: A Marine spokesman told KPBS that the Corps is investigating Kovarik, but it's unclear if he would be in violation of the military's new policy unless he did more than just join the Patriot Front. For example, the new rules forbid service members from liking or sharing extremist posts on social media. William Braniff is director of the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism. He says the constant presence of social media makes this change vital, but he has heard concerns.
4: There's a lot of pushback like, you know, this is overreach and the DoD is going to kick somebody out of the military for retweeting or reposting something. Isn't that silly? Well, no, not at all. I think what the DoD has recognized is that social media matters.
3: However, the military is still not screening the social media of its service members, even though polling of people in the military in recent years shows roughly a third have encountered racist and white supremacist views. Again, Burkhart.
4: So the problem is endemic, but when those service members go to report that, it's unclear how that is handled, you know, as to whether or not there will be clear procedures for discipline and for response.
3: Burkhart says it's a sharp contrast with the military's policy on other conduct. Consider that proof of adultery by a service member can lead to docked pay, discharge and even confinement. Shivala, the Navy vet, believes it will be tough to convince the military brass to take the same hard line on extremists.
5: It's so deeply rooted into everything that they do. If they started to unravel that thread, it's going to break apart a huge structure that they've already built, causing them to have to rebuild it all over again.
3: Amitha Sharma, KPBS News.
1: The county is shifting its focus on COVID-19 case investigations to help San Diegans most at risk. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman says the move comes as the immunocompromised are finally getting the help they've been waiting for.
2: Only the high risk, including people ages 65 and older, will be getting follow-up calls from the county if they test positive for COVID.
6: The public two years in, knows what to do. You know, we've been through this.
2: Seema Shaw is San Diego County's Medical Director for Epidemiology and Immunization Services. She says outbreaks will still be tracked.
6: Sniffs in long-term care facilities. We're still looking at correctional facilities and jails, obviously shelters, uh, you know, thinking about all the populations that would be at highest risk for morbidity of, uh, from this disease. Of course, K through twelve uh, is is still a is a still a significant priority, and we are still seeing outbreaks um, in, in those locations.
2: COVID nineteen related hospitalizations have fallen dramatically in San Diego, but case levels aren't exactly where officials want them to be.
6: We're still looking at anywhere from three to seven hundred cases a day. That's that is nowhere near where we should be, and that means that. Omicron is still here. It's still driving a lot of the the disease.
2: And those cases are from official PCR tests. They don't include any of the increasingly popular at-home test results.
6: We don't have a good sense of how many more you know, cases are actually out there. And my guess would be it's probably close to double.
5: You know, we shouldn't try to pretend that COVID is gone. It's absolutely not gone.
2: Christian Ramers is an infectious disease specialist and chief of population health at Family Health Centers of San Diego. He says they are still treating COVID patients every day, less than during the surge, but he says that the supply chain of treatments has greatly increased.
5: We really have plenty of medicines to treat people that need it. Um, and we're sort of moving more to a normal phase where this is a disease that has a treatment and you, sh- you can get diagnosed with it, you can get treatment for it. Uh, and we're beyond the time when we had to really triage and, and uh, you know use a very limited resource.
2: Monoclonal antibodies and antivirals are proven to help keep people out of the hospital, but they have to be used within the first few days of symptoms. Supplies of the antibody UVA Shield that offers protection for the immunocompromised are also increasing. It's
5: really been approved and authorized by the by the FDA to be used as a preventive actually for people that are at high risk or for people that may not have responded to vaccines.
2: The treatment could help those most at risk ease into the new normal.
5: Now these people have been kind of hung out to dry and they're feeling very anxious and vulnerable as the mask mandates come off.
2: Raymer says they have given out about 100 doses of UVA Shield but estimates they have at least 600 other patients who need it. The county says there is plenty of supply. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
1: Ukrainians fleeing the Russian invasion are having a difficult time requesting asylum at the southern border. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis spoke with one woman who waited nearly a week before being allowed in.
7: Natalia Palikova left her home in Ukraine on the fifth day of the invasion. This is actually the second time she's had to flee Russian violence.
1: I born in Krim, Crimea, Yalta, and Putin in 2014 stole my home and I ran to Kiev. And now he stole my home again.
7: Polyakova left Kiev on a train with hundreds of other war refugees. She took a series of buses and planes to get to California. Her journey took her through Moldovia, Romania, Germany, Colombia, and Mexico. She finally made it to Tijuana on March 8th. Once there, she kept getting turned away at the border, each time telling border patrol agents that she had nowhere else to go.
1: We can't return back home, you know, because the war the bombs and the rockets and Putin.
7: And each time, they told her that she couldn't cross because of the pandemic, but she kept trying.
1: Again and again and again, like 40 times day per car and per, uh, on foot and uh, different uh, borders here, but nothing.
7: Poliakova was finally allowed in Monday morning. She said hundreds more are coming, most of them with relatives and friends in the United States. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News.
1: Coming up, the City Heights Farm Hub was created to address inequality and climate change. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. Record-breaking gas prices are making commutes an even bigger drain on drivers' budgets. Economists say the high gas prices will increase inflation, potentially pushing the high price of food, clothes, and rent even higher. The public's concern and growing anger over this economic squeeze has prompted attention from state lawmakers. UC San Diego political science professor Thad Kowser spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh about the political ramifications of high gas prices.
6: Give me your sense of how increased gas prices and high inflation are affecting California. Well,
4: this has been the most politically salient way that inflation has been experienced by California at at the pump, right? Because gas is this amazing thing, whether you are buying it or not, you see the price of it everywhere you go Uh, it's broadcast on these giant billboards and so it's it's the thing that crystallizes uh everyone's concerns about inflation in the economy and yeah if you're driving an electric car you still see this if you're not driving an electric car you're really feeling it every time you fill up you fill up your gas tank and so it and it bears a a larger burden on people who have lower incomes and it squeezes their income more so it's, it's a big issue right now in california
6: one of our listeners, Lynn Lowman, says that he feels that he's going to be in, hurt by this, even though he does have an EV.
5: You know, it's not going to affect me at all, um, the, the increase in gas prices, for, as far as transportation goes, but I know other commodities will go up in price uh, because of transportation, and I see that that is one of the reasons we have to get off of fossil fuels.
6: How is all this affecting the political climate in California, Thad? Well, it's
4: really crystallized demand for some kind of tax relief. And I think we're going to see that, right? We looks like we'll have about a twenty one billion dollar uh, surplus in California government, j- just like we had last year, a really large surplus. And, and that's actually going to kick in a, a kind of old and obscure and almost forgotten part of our state uh, constitution called the GAN Limit, which says when when tax revenues rise by so much, you got to give back. Uh, politicians have to give back at least two point six billion dollars to taxpayers. I, the, the the political bet is that to uh, really respond to this need with inflation and to curry favor with voters in an election year, Gavin Newsom is going to propose a really large tax rebate of some kind. In fact, that was his only policy proposal in the State of the State address that he gave last week.
6: What could the fallout be to this gas price inflation spiral in California? In other words, do you think more people will leave the state?
4: Well, I think when you have... Any kind of economic bad news, you see that hurting the incumbent party, right? And so the real question is, where is that incumbent party vulnerable? In the governor's race, probably not. We don't see any major candidate. um Kevin Faulkner did not emerge as a candidate in the governor's race to try to unseat Gavin Newsom, twenty twenty two. Republicans took their best shot in the recall. I don't think he's very vulnerable, but there could be some Democrats in politically competitive districts in the state legislature who may pay a price for this. Clearly. Congress, where you're again going to have swing districts in Cal- all across California, including in San Diego, that is where the uh, the response and, and the, the the voter anger over inflation and and voter uh, discouragement over the direction of the nation and the state. That's where they could play out in the 2022 election.
1: And that was UC San Diego political science professor Thad Kauser speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. With gas prices continuing to rise, a San Diego group hosted a gas and food giveaway on Monday to help those who need it the most. KPBS reporter Alexander Wynn says hundreds of people showed up. Follow me, sir.
8: It's a little past 7 a.m. And Zach Brewster was the first person in line.
7: When I got up at five and drove up here.
8: As cars lined up around the corner of the Arco gas station in Allied Gardens for the free gas giveaway,
7: can't complain about free gas. This reminds me when I was a kid and Jimmy Carter and the odd and even days, sitting in the back seat with my dad. So. I know how serious this is.
8: He's referring to the 1979 oil crisis that saw gas rationing in the U.S. The event was hosted by the People's Association of Justice Advocates in partnership with several other organizations. Shane Harris is the president of the People's Association.
5: The gas prices in California are too damn high. People are hitting an all-time low at the pump. They're struggling from housing affordability to gas prices.
8: In addition to free gasoline, participants also got a 15-pound box of canned goods and dried goods. That should feed a family of four for several weeks. About 300 people were helped and 2,700 gallons of gas were given away. Alexander Nguyen, KPPS News.
1: The San Diego City Council heard a presentation on Monday on the city's downtown office space needs. Around a 1,000 city employees work downtown, many in drab and outdated office buildings where things like elevators, HVAC systems, and bathrooms need constant repairs. Fixing the buildings would cost well over $100 million. Council President Sean Elo Rivera says that's scandalous.
2: I don't know how... We can't be alarmed when we look at the numbers that are here. Just walk into this building and look around. It's not in great shape. And I think that's a product of failed leadership of the past. I'm glad we're having the conversation now.
1: The city is currently crafting a remote work policy that would reduce some of its office space needs. In the long term, it's also considering building new offices on city-owned land. Local farmers are addressing food inequality and climate change through a new farm hub in City Heights. KPBS-Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Eyre says the center will provide fruits, vegetables and eggs for up to 300 families a week.
8: The food shed Farm Hub in City Heights will provide a physical location where farmers can bring their fresh produce. It's also where community members can access it at an affordable price Even through an EBT card, according to the organization's president and Palma Valley farmer Hernan Cavazos. So we
5: specialize in uh, prescription boxes and boxes too. So we we have some
8: from 300 boxes to 500 boxes weekly to uh, you know 100 to 300 different families in City Heights. Tina Chitura is one of the farmers who will be providing her vegetables like cabbage, carrots, and kale to the organization. She started her journey into farming by working in community gardens with her sisters in City Heights a decade ago. For her, it's about giving back to the larger San Diego community and making sure no one has to settle for unhealthy food options.
0: If you cannot afford food
7: in the store, it doesn't mean you have to starve. It doesn't mean you don't have to be healthy. You still have to be healthy. You still have to eat. You know. So with us as farmers providing that food, I, I just tell myself I need to grow more.
8: I grow more and at a lower price for everybody to afford City Heights Promotora Miriam Rodriguez says the pandemic exposed already existing issues for San Diego's most vulnerable, but this will help her local community.
5: My family has been, you know, able to really have that security to know that, you know, within walking distance they can get food that is good quality and no pesticides.
8: The food shed is located on Fairmont Avenue and is open to all San Diegans. Cavasso says the Farm Hub also addresses climate change by promoting local sustainable food production, and the majority of their revenue goes back to the farmers. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News.
1: And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at KPBS.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.